Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to Amazon.com slash news ad free. That's Amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. There's no world of Australian politics where Labor and the Greens can operate independently of each other and, and hope to be able to influence you know, pass legislation and, and influence Australian politics because at the very least it requires good cooperation in the Senate. Well, hello, lovely people of podcasts and welcome to another episode of Australian Politics Live. I'm Catherine Murphy, political editor of Guardian Australia and with me in the studio uh, this week is uh, two, two local compadres. <laughs> we have the ACT Chief Minister, Andrew Barr, and we have Shane Rattenbury, who is also the leader of the ACT Greens. And are you still in your old ministry? Forgive me. No, we've just had a reshuffle, Catherine, yes. and I've just become the Attorney General of the ACT. Oh, my God. And I'm still doing a lot of the energy policy work. Well, that's a relief. Um, okay, so let's get into this conversation. I wanted to um, bring the gents in um, in a, well, look, it's a, been a high-octane political week as we're recording the American election is yet to be resolved and it's hard for any of us, I think, to concentrate on anything other than that until that is resolved. But uh, anyway, uh, people around the country will know that the ACT had an election recently and uh, and Labor uh, and the Greens were the have formed another uh, coalition or minority government in the ACT. Now I'll just start with the easy question, guys. Um, it just forgive me, but it doesn't really feel at the moment like the social democratic moment, all in capitals. Uh, if you sort of look at the political landscape, so why do you think you won? Uh, well, thanks, Catherine. I'd say a combination of uh, some external factors that favoured incumbency. So in our case, the bushfires over the summer, I think was probably a real turning point, uh, galvanised our community, made people recognise the importance of government uh, and what it can do to support communities and in this instance to protect lives and property. Uh, and then we, we had a pretty devastating hailstorm as well in Canberra that did you know, a couple of billion dollars worth of damage. We were just getting over those two events, plus the smoke uh, of the yeah. summertime and then COVID hit. So I think what we've seen across the nation uh, and, and internationally as well is where governments have handled sort of these major crises well, voters have rewarded uh, them with uh, another term in office. But for us, it wasn't just about uh, getting the tick on competency around bushfire management uh, and the pandemic. It was also about the future. And we had to, and I was very conscious of this, had to have a plan for the next term of government that outlined a positive vision of what we were going to do mm -hmm. with 
that additional four years. Uh, and for a long-term government, uh, even though it's generally been a minority government through two decades, to ask for a third, mm. uh, effectively the beginning of a third decade in office was going to require experience and new policy. Uh, and I think we got that balance right. Mm -hmm. Shane, thoughts? Yeah, and for those, with those contextual issues that Andrew put out there, you know, as the Greens, we sort of put forward this idea that 2020 has shown us that business as usual doesn't cut it. That we, as political leaders, we need to be making sure we are mapping out a different way, whether that is tackling the climate crisis or addressing issues of housing affordability or, frankly, income inequality, which is growing in Australia. These issues have been I think, really laid bare this year, particularly by the pandemic and the economic consequences of it. And so we talked very much about that desire. And I think the other factor that played out was that the, the Liberal Party, as the opposition party, ran a very particular agenda around cost of living. And I think in the Canberra electorate, people were looking for a, a greater vision than that. Mm. It was a very narrow focus. We saw a whole lot of Boris Johnson-style stunts from the leader of the opposition. And I think the community did not get behind that either. So the combination, I, I think, of both ourselves and the Labor Party running quite positive and forward-looking agendas and the narrow focus of the Liberal Party really, for me, was the deciding factor in the election. Mm -hmm. And you guys have known each other for a fair while, I think. Well, yes, I was recalling you know, where I first heard about this uh, this eco-commerce student from ANU who was going to run on the Green Alliance ticket for student politics in 1993, and uh, that's uh, that's when I think I first met Shane. Uh, I think I can probably say this, but most of the, the student Labor people thought he was a young lib. <laughs> really? It's true, it's true, yes. <laughs> Why? Well, oh, I, had, I had a lot of friends who played rugby. Okay. And that was sort of associated with the more liberal crowd yep, at university. Yeah, yeah, so, sure. yeah. And quite a few friends that came from country areas. Uh, and I think that a lot of assumptions were made there, despite the fact that I spent a lot of my university time down in the southeast forests on protests, organising forest-related protests in Canberra, those sort of things, with uh, actually someone who's now my chief of staff. We were in the environment club together at uni. So yeah, right. I'm interested. It is always funny to hear that. Uh, that <laughs> hear someone uh, else narrate your history. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes, I mean... I, it became pretty apparent to us reasonably quickly. I mean, the context of this at ANU in the uh, in the early nineteen nineties was a, a, a quite a broad coalition of uh, really of progressive forces. Yeah. Uh, but it came off the back of needing to to win the student union and the students' association off the Liberal Party, and so all of the all of the progressive forces from the right wing of the Labor Party to the left wing of the Labor Party yeah. to the environment movement, even the International Socialist Organisation <laughs> may well have run candidates and preferences, and we won. Right. So, right. I would say it's probably the, one of the first early political lessons in for progressive politics. We've got to find a way to work together. Coalition that's how building. we. That's yeah. how we beat the okay. conservatives. And were you were, were you were you mates or were you uh, transactional allies? I think more acquaintances initially. Mm -hmm. um, Shane, because Shane was in you were sort of commerce law, mm. weren't you, principally? Yeah. And I was in the sort of arts economics faculty. So we, we crossed over a little bit, mm -hmm. but no, it was. I think it was later. Uh, you know, sort of chain then went off to to do some other things uh, before our paths crossed again uh, around. Well, I think probably just before the two thousand and eight election, uh, when you. Yeah, I'd spent a few years overseas, so I was completely in a different scene for quite some time there. I went and did the ex expat thing, mm -hmm. travelled the world. I 
uh, headed up the Oceans campaign at Greenpeace International. So quite a different career for a while there. Mm, right, okay. And uh, does the longevity help or is it a barrier to entry oh, sometimes? No, no, I think it gave, I mean, it gave me a very good perspective on the issues Shane's been passionate about and I know they're genuine and lifelong. Yeah. Uh, that's that's very clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I remember having this sort of very similar conversations with my colleagues uh, at around the time of the 2008 election when Shane was uh, was elected as to, oh, there's, there's all these new Greens in the parliament. Who are they? Well, what do we know about them? And I was able to recount the story that I, I largely just have uh, to my colleagues. You've, you're, you're being quite quiet, Shane. I'm, I'm sensing there's an untold story behind No, your... no, no, no. Look, my my flirtation with university politics was probably only that one election. I mean, I didn't really do university politics at all. We were very much more sort of in this environment group doing our thing and, and it was a bit of a sideline. But it is, I guess it's a story of Canberra to an extent. It is not that big a city. No. And one of the nice things about the city is you do make these connections again at different points in life with people. And, uh, you know, this one's turned out funny and... You know, down the years, uh, well, over the last decade or so that I've been in the assembly, and Andrew got there a couple of years before me, um, necessity has made us work together. But I think we've mm-hmm. been able to find a really constructive way to do it. And having some of those shared touch points in history, I think, helps that. You know, it just it opens doors in a way that yes, those that otherwise do. wouldn't. Would you say? Would you say you trust each other? Yes. Uh, and that's that. It's it's sort of I ask that in in the loaded sense of politics, right? Mm-hmm. That it's sort of like. Politics is often more about transactions than trust, but would you say you trust one another? Yeah, I think we've really built that over a number of years in the sense that, uh, again, probably by necessity at the beginning, we started to work together, but through working on a range of things where you both share views, uh, people don't go out and leak them to the media, you have understandings that people stick to, that trust builds up over time. And so certainly come this election particularly where, you know, you come out the other side and you've got to sit down to make a governing arrangement. Having that understanding that you know that you can say something frank to somebody in a room and it won't suddenly appear on the front page of the paper creates a really strong foundation for being able to work through some hard issues. And we'll get to the the nuts and bolts of the governing agreement in a tick, but um because there's more greens now in the assembly Shane, right? So so and forgive me because I have been preoccupied both with the federal scene and the American election. So and I know you guys have been you were sworn in yesterday or the day before or mm. whatever. I'm conscious there's more greens. So are there more greens in the ministry now? This there year, are. there yes. are that's what yes. I thought. So the numbers in the ACT are a lot simpler than the US election. For those that aren't from Canberra, we have a twenty five member assembly. Yes. Uh as a result of this election, the Greens tripled our representation. We went from two to six. Yep. The Labour Party's on nine and the Liberal Sorry, Labor Party's on 10. Yeah, and one more, on come yes, on. Yes. Yeah. yeah, 10 and 11, yeah. So right. between yeah. Labor and Greens, we have 16 of the 25 seats now. And as part of this agreement, I was the only Green Minister in Cabinet previously. Yes. Uh, we now have three. Well, this is it's sort of, uh, this is what I want to ask you. It's Previously, you have been the Green in the government. It, it's been a solo act and you two have a relationship which sets up this whole proposition. Um Obviously, heading into this term of government, then you've got you've got a little caucus to whip, and uh, you guys have got to work out an, an operating tempo where there's not one green in the government, there's three greens in the government. So, how's that going to go? I think that's a, a real question for us as the greens. We've now got to put in place a series of internal structures that we've not needed in the past, from very basic things like party room rules to how we are going to operate with. 
a number of ministers in cabinet. And I think that's going to be a question for the whole cabinet. Mm. Uh, the cabinet is – it operates in, I think, a very positive way in the sense that people tend not – as the what might be called the outsider, as the green sitting in the Labor cabinet, as I have been for the last couple of terms, you know, it's not obviously driven by factions. I'm sure that stuff happens, but the ALP faction stuff is a black box to me. Mm-hmm. The ministers just come in and we just discuss things in, I think, a, a pretty open way. And so, again, that gives me confidence that we'll be able to bring a couple more Greens into the discussion without it becoming some factionalised cabinet. At least that's the spirit I'm hoping for. Yeah, but it's kind of a butterfly effect, isn't it, though? You, do, you never know what, what, and I'm not putting the mockers on this at all, but you never know what extra dimension, if, if the picture changes ever so slightly, you don't really know in advance how that's going to play out, like what the reaction is from yep. well, Labor I, I, folks and, and also from Green folks. Yeah, and, so. and, and I'm acutely aware of that and I think there's a big onus on me as the chair of the cabinet to ensure that we, we have a consensus-based approach to decision-making and where we, we don't immediately reach consensus that we take the time. Uh, if I- issues are contentious, then we can come back to them. Mm. Um, we don't need to have rushed decision-making uh, making stuff up on the run is not not going to necessarily be helpful, or, mm. nor nor contribute to, to good governance. Mm. For again, for national listeners, uh, the the parliament's twenty five, the executive is nine. Uh, the nine are six Labor and three Green, and within the six Labor, they are evenly split between the different wings of the Labor Party. Right. So there's three, three, and three right. for those who are very factionally minded. <laughs> but again, the, the way we have operated our cabinet, is, and I, I sort of take Shane as my proof point here, is that uh, he would not necessarily know in a cabinet meeting, you know, the, oh, that's the left-wing view and that's the yeah. uh, the right-wing view. It's not been the, the way that things have operated. And that, that I think, is possible in a smaller group, it can become really destructive if people sort of just move into little yes. blocks, particularly when there's such a small number uh, of ministers. Yeah. It's not like yeah, you've yeah. got a, a group of 30 here and trying to organise that probably does need a degree of uh, uh, of the discipline that comes with, um, you know, with, with larger parties. Yeah. But it, it is. I, I, you know, an important thing for me uh, will be how, um, how the Greens Party manages uh, cabinet and non-executive membership. Yeah. Uh, and that's something Shane and I ha- can talk about. Not that the Greens are going to pick up entirely Labor's operating arrangement, but we have governed for yes. uh, for a period with cabinet ministers and people on the backbench. And, you know, managing those tensions and ambitions is what every, uh, every governing well, party yeah. and leader well, has to do. It yeah. is, yeah. It's part of the part of the um, you know, part of the job description, but interesting nonetheless. So uh, tell us about the agreement, fellas. Like what's, obviously we don't have to do this exhaustively, but what, in the broad, what does it cover? What does it deliver? Well, it, it covers stability of government and sort of the machinery things that are necessary to, you know, to run an effective government. And then it's incredibly policy rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, it represents uh, the amalgamation of some of our election commitments whilst keeping the absolute integrity of both what we, we put forward, smartly bringing a number of them together um, to deliver. Actually, in some instances, improved. I think we probably both stepped back and go, oh, we probably should have thought of that one <laughs> before the election. We got together and put that put that in place, particularly on, on climate action, but also in our response to 
uh, housing and homelessness, mm. uh, a big you know, a big investment coming in uh, in social housing. Uh, and then uh, there's, I guess, a series of other policy and legislative reforms that would would fit in the social policy category uh, as uh, as well, I think, as uh, some really important jobs and economic recovery mm-hmm. uh, measures that we've we've both signed mm-hmm. up to. And what do you what do you want to highlight, Shane? Yeah. Well, I think one of the real strengths of the agreement. We've this is the third or fourth iteration of it now, and it gets tweaked every time. But there's a clear ability there for the parties to work together to collaborate. But if we do disagree, uh, we've got the mechanisms to resolve those disputes. And I think what's for me really important in that is we can actually disagree on something, go into the parliament and potentially vote separately, but still keep governing. That doesn't lead to the collapse of the government. I think there's a maturity in that that actually enables us to sometimes get through the tough moments. And there are points where disagreement comes along. It's not the main focus, but it gives us that sort of um, safety valve for making sure that we're able to have that difference and just move on and keep governing because the community, that's what they want us to do. They want us to deliver. Yes. Well, they yeah want, actually want outcomes. Um, with this dispute, just call it the dispute clause for want of a better locution, um, does it envisage that if disputes happen about a particular policy issue that uh, you folks would vote as blocks, right? Or, or could it be like, I don't know, I'm just... I'm completely extemporising here, but let's say um, Labor was on board for a particular thing um, and, you know, one of your caucus was, Shane, was, could sign up to that, but two of you couldn't. Mm, what, mm. what would you do then? What, is it envisaged that, that, that in order for the functionality of this thing that it's you've got to preserve caucus solidarity. I mean, that's a Labor tradition, right? Yeah. The, the caucus, like the ding-dong happens, then everybody accepts the decision. There's no kind of wandering about. Uh, but you guys are making up your own processes uh, or developing your own processes. So, I mean, this is slightly in the weeds, but I'm just curious. Sure. Well, look, the, the structure uh, allows for... Uh, an amendment process to a to an so there could be there's agreement in principle, but wanting to you know sort of look at the detail. Then there's a, a within cabinet amendment process mm-hmm. that Greens ministers or indeed Labor ministers can bring forward because there will be Greens ministers who will be bringing forward proposals for government sure. approval, and that may require the Labor Party to sure. to see absolutely to it cuts amend, both you know. ways. Yep. Yes, yep. then there is a mechanism uh, for agreement in principle, but. Uh, amendments to be moved on the floor of the parliament. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there is the, I guess, the, the, the last resort, which is we just cannot agree. Yep. Uh, and then it really, then there's a matter, uh, I, I mean, I presume this will principally be the case for the Labor Party, but uh, where you take something to the, um, to the floor of the parliament. Mm-hmm. And if we couldn't get the Greens to agree to it, then uh, we'd need the opposition mm. yeah. to agree to yeah. it. Yeah. And look, my past experience mm-hmm. is that, you know, the... Most of the issues, 80, 90% of them, are, can be resolved by amendment discussion within the cabinet. About 5% are resolved by amendment on the floor and you know, the parties take their chances there. Uh, and then there are a bunch of issues where Shane gets to issue the media release, which says the old parties <laughs> have ganged up on the Greens. Wicked, to wicked run. wickedness. Indeed. Wicked it wickedness. does still happen. Colin <laughs> Rattenbury. Yes. Yes. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Um, can I ask this? Um, uh, I want to sort of bring us out to um, so, some broader concepts associated with this uh, agreement now. But one of the the sort of 
te- uh, points of tension between Labor and the Greens federally and in the other state jurisdictions are these endless turf wars over seats mm-hmm. uh, that basically you're prosecuting the same battles for the yep. same number of usually inner urban seats, not exclusively, but often. Uh, and that for many progressive voters looks like a zero-sum game that is deeply irritating to people, uh, right? So um, does it, is one of the reasons why, um, just call it a de-escalation effect of the arrangements in the ACT, because the voting system here basically pits you all against one another all the time, right? Like the, mm. the tickets in the seats, it's not, it's like, you know, here's, here's the seat, here's the number of would-be candidates in this seat. In essence, you all run against each other, right? Um, yes. I mean, it's, it's a bit simplistic, yep. but it's sort of like, uh, and obviously there's how to vote tickets and all that stuff. but Not, not so much. And I think that's okay. possibly one of the, the Educate reasons. me, Andrew. Yeah. Educate so, me. Look, the, you, I could spend half an hour on this, but, but I'll try and do it in, in 30 seconds. In essence, yes, there is some competition yep. between the two parties, but because it's proportional representation, uh, there is an expectation, certainly in the electorate that Shane and I both represent, that the Greens are going to win a seat under their own steam yep. on first preferences. Yep. And so we actually were able to collaborate in our seat anyway through Labor preferences got a second green up and we defeated a Liberal. Yes. And so our electorate, which has five members, yep. now has four, two Labor, two Green and one Liberal. And so that is helpful when we can, in fact, collaborate to, to take a seat off the Liberal yes, Party. Yes, exactly. A yeah. bit harder and for the Labor Party when in this election, there are a couple of uh, marginal seats in the outer suburban areas that went Green on Labor preferences. Yep. But I yep. note that in previous elections, they were went Labor on green preferences. Yes. So there are swings, so swings and, roundabouts and roundabouts in the yeah. system. So and it's that the in nature the... of Hare Clark. You know, there yes. are there are yep. fine margins. Yep. And you know, for us we had a great election this time. We picked up four seats, interestingly, two of them from Labor and two of them from Liberal in terms of where things fell. But so I really... was very happy with them winning seats off the Libs. <laughs> Not so much about the... <laughs> But it comes down to just where you fall on that online in, in the way the accounting system is done. So, yes. Yeah. yeah, but it's uh, – I get I get that, but it's sort of like and, – and you're talking about, um, you know, a, a new concept, you know, like actively constructive arrangements in order to get more progressive candidates up, right? I mean, obviously this happens federally in the states as well, but it's a bit unusually so here. But it's – yeah, I don't know. It's um, – obviously the, the, the voting system uh, – um, is is more favourable to Greens candidates than the voting system that exists at the national level. I'm just I'm just fascinated by the de-escalation sure. that can happen okay. well, here. Well, I make one other quick observation yep. that you know, just look at the recent Queensland state election. There yep. were two seats that the Greens won. One where it was essentially a Green Liberal contest that the Greens won on Labor preferences. And yep. again, I, I'm comfortable with that. That's if, you know, if Labor can't win the seat, then it should. We should support another progressive party. The one that is harder and more challenging and really hits on the on the point that um, that you've raised here was South Brisbane. Yes. That you effectively had a contest between probably two of the most progressive yes. women a in progressive Australia. off, a massive yes, progressive exactly off. Yes, exactly was. But I mean, mm. that reflects the seat too. It is a very progressive seat. That's where it's difficult. I think I look to Victoria, and there's you know there's seats south of the Yarra that yep. uh, you know where where the Greens had a serious crack at winning some uh, seats off the Liberal Party. Yes. That sort of thing. I mean, if, if, if there can be a little bit more focus on that, I think that serves 
both parties well. But I understand and acknowledge that there are other areas where, you know, where like in Melbourne, the, yes. the federal seat of Melbourne and, and others, where, where the Greens are in a contest with the Labor Party. And that's where it be becomes difficult to manage. Our electoral system allows for that. But there's still a little bit of tension there. But my view on this is that, well, that should sharpen up the Labor Party's approach to campaigning. We've got to, we've got to get good candidates. We've got to run good grassroots campaigns. And there's swings and roundabouts in politics. Shane's team have had an excellent result this time. But in our parliament, there's five marginal seats effectively. Yep. And they're holding all five of them at the moment. So, yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's true. The yeah. other thing that's different here, Catherine, is, you know, and I've looked at, for example, the Tasmanian model where our party had a similar result where we had two cabinet ministers in a Labor government down there yep. and uh, we held five seats, 25-member parliament, very similar situation to the ACT. What we don't have here is some of those really divisive issues that the Labor Party particularly struggles on in relation to the Greens. So whether yep. it's forestry or mining, yes. that really two, split the two parties yes. when you get to that sort of union end of the Labor Party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't yeah, have very, those here and that yeah. takes some of that big tension away. Yeah, I'm very glad you brought that into the conversation it's because, of course, point. yeah, Canberra is a is a unique electorate in that sense. In so many ways. So it's, well, it's true. Best <laughs> educated true. electorate, Catherine. That's, that's, no, no, the, no, no, no. Well, it, it is different here, yes. right? Things are different here. Um, and, and that also influences the sort of yeah. call it the general I, amity or yeah. equanimity I mean, in the system. One yeah. really other quick point here is that, for example, on energy policy, which has been you know, diabolical across the nation, our move to 100% renewable energy in the ACT is a job creator. Mm. We went from importing 100% coal-fired yep, energy. We South now Wales. have thousands yep. of jobs in our city as a result of our 100% renewable electricity target, which we've now achieved. And one of the policies we're collaborating on uh, in this next phase of government is renewable energy as an economic driver for our economy. Mm. More jobs uh, and will produce and store more of our power ourselves yes. here in Canberra. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. What about compromise? Um, it's sort of, perhaps I'm just bloodied by the federal system and bloodied by uh, existing, as I do in a digital media publication and with a fairly substantial online presence, right? Um, I'm constantly sort of assailed by people who are not interested in compromise, not interested in dialogue, uh, want basically, you know, that we, we seem to be in the basis of political movements um, in, in society because of the algorithms of social media. Um, we seem to be more, more and more, uh, a generalisation, of course, um, wanting our views reinforced rather than the sort of general, what I would call the kind of fundamental dynamism of progress, which is persuasion, which is changing people's minds, right? So um, an agreement like this, notwithstanding all the, you know, the, the, the um, what we've just been talking about the, for the last few minutes, which is Canberra's another country, we have a different electoral system here. We don't have some of the, um, you know, the sort of material versus post-material debates here that, that exist in other states. How do you guys go, though, with your own base and with community perceptions sort of fronting up with a compromise model because this is what this is. So how do you find that? Or again, are we in another country so this isn't a big deal? Oh, it's still challenging. Uh, and you know, we, I think one of the things that's going to make this work over, over the next four years is that 
Shane and I continue um, to talk through issues, but to look ahead to, if I've learned anything in politics, it's yes, you've got to be in the moment and in the week and a day or a week is a long time in politics, but you've also got to have your sort of medium and long-term view mm. uh, about these questions. And if you observe all of the trends that you've, <laughs> you've highlighted there, think about how those impact on politics, uh, on the economy, on society, uh, I, I think, and I've reached the conclusion that, that it means cooperation, uh, more consensus building and, and compromise, mm -hmm. uh, because you can have 80% of what you want or you can get 100% of nothing. Yeah. What do you think, Sean? And I think despite all the comments you made, there's also a yearning in the community for cooperation. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah we hear it yeah. said, but yeah. we often don't see it reflected then in some of the commentary that you talk about. But it is challenging for us as well. You know, a lot of the... Well, we get feedback from people saying, oh, you don't take it up to the Labor Party enough mm. because they don't see that we do have disagreements and we, we we work on things and we push each other to find these ways through. But we do a lot of that, I guess, behind the scenes. Yes. And by the time we it comes out into the public domain, we've sorted those things out, we've found a way through, mm. which I personally think is a good thing. You know, It is about getting on with it, but people don't see that. And so we get some feedback from people saying, well, we don't see you enough. And so I find that hard to judge because I actually I'm more interested in the outcomes. Yes. Well, this. <laughs> I mean, it's amusing. I, I get the oh, you cave into the greens yes. too often. No, you know, this is, yeah, no, this is of, the thing. You know, so, you you, you so, will uh, you will get these. You yeah. will get this feedback. What I would say though is that you know that healthy tension at times has led to some pretty innovative and clever and nation-leading policy outcomes. And so. Maybe it's a reflection of our personalities, but I think we are both a little bit more policy driven than many of our counterparts. That's the observation I would make in terms of leadership around other, you know, without casting any aspersions no, 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 on any I, of the, no, but you know, we're, we're both in it for the policy outcomes and my sense of, you know, what the, the role the ACT can play within the Australian Federation is a leadership role. We're small. Yes, but we can get some really good things done if we're prepared to compromise along the way. And, and I sort of come back to that that eighty percent rule. Right? It's encapsulated for me in a in a great Mick Jagger, Keith Richards song. You can't always get what you want, <laughs> but if you try sometime, you just might find you get what you need, yes. Catherine. Well, yes, yes, uh, laudable, Shane. And that smallness that Andrew is speaking about gives us an agility as well as so we can get things done. Uh, I think there's also a challenge upon us as leaders of our respective parties to make sure we take our supporters on that journey with us. And I think what they've started to do is they've started to trust us that even though it's sort of unsure sometimes, we are getting the outcomes. And so certainly my support base is very happy with the fact that we are now at 100% renewable electricity. We've started to build cameras light rail network. We've had all these reforms that have been really important to us for a long period of time that you know the Labor Party has not, perhaps not disagreed with but perhaps haven't prioritised. But in working with us, those things have come forward. Uh, I think that's also helps people see that it's actually worth it. You know, we went into this election nervous. Uh, historically, right around the world, there's, and there's been academic papers done on this, where you've got two-party governments, a larger party and a smaller party. At most elections, the smaller party does badly. Mm -hmm. And th they posit the reasons for that are if a government goes badly... The small party is sort of the balance of power holder who's expected to fix everything, gets the blame, mm -hmm. and loses seats. If the government goes well, the big party tend to get the credit for it. And that has been observed right across Europe and in all sorts of places. So for us to actually 
AAA representation at this time really bucks that international trend. And it gives me confidence that our supporters think that we are doing this the right way. I mean, both of you thoughtfully say um, what we're delivering to both our constituencies in the event that they are suspicious of compromise is outcomes. And if we continue to collaborate and deliver the outcomes, then we can bring our people with us. But I wonder whether or not, and I mean, this is unknowable, but whether a combination of dynamics in this term may require both of you to be slightly more performative in the deliberation and the resolution of disputes, right? Mm. It's it's sort of a, it's a, just listening to so both of you. Theatre of well, politics. Well, no, but it's sort of like it's sort of a superficial thing to say. But listening to both of you talk, right? What I what I hear in the room is um, we have a relationship. We trust one another that goes broader than transactions. We trust one another to have really quite difficult conversations and not see that on the front page of a newspaper. We trust one another to run a closed process, right, so that we can deliberate until we're done. Then we turn up and we... And I think partly because between 2008 and 2012, we had where the Greens sat on the crossbench and Labor tried to govern in minority. So we'd we'd have our process inside the cabinet and then we'd have to go and negotiate with the crossbench and then we'd have to bring it back inside the cabinet. This is more efficient. Much more efficient. Much more efficient. No, 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 I'm not dissing it, but I just wonder, like obviously it's more efficient, obviously, and the benefits, uh, you know, the benefits you've both been able to articulate very clearly, but I just wonder whether, um, well, uh, well, I suppose, look, old-fashioned, it's kind of like a test of leadership, isn't it? Like do, do you bring your bases with you? Um, by delivering the outcomes and saying, trust us, we've got decent judgment, we've got the runs on the board, just keep coming with us, this, this, is, this is where we're going, or does it, this require a more performative approach? I don't know. You guys tell me. One of the challenges we've certainly got this term in having a bigger team is managing some of those expectations even within our own group. Yes. And you know, as the Greens, we'll now start to face some of the challenges that the big parties have always faced. Yes which is you know, a broader church within our own group, uh, a range of expectations. Uh, we've now got some who get to be ministers and some who've not. Yep. Uh, that's been a comfortable process for us. It's sort of naturally self-selected. Uh, but those things will change over time. So we're going to face some challenges. Mm. And I'm certainly having to think about that as the leader of the group and with five brand new members is how do we you know, how do we learn to deal with those things ourselves? And you know, the Greens are still relatively a, a young political party compared to you know, the Labor Party having worked those things out in their ways over time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, one quick observation yeah, yeah, here yeah. that uh, I, mean, I think I'd like to think I've helped Shane understand a little bit about the internal culture of the Labor Party and the challenges that, that I face yep. uh, as the leader. I think the next step, particularly now with with six greens, is I will need to better understand over time yes. the, the yeah, dynamics yeah. of uh, of that group and, and understand where, where they're coming from. But our number one principle operating procedure is no surprises. Uh, and so, if you know, I genuinely now, after working in a cabinet with Shane for eight years. I'm pretty good now at knowing where particular issues are going to emerge are going to be problematic. And if and if I get it wrong, he can tell me. Yeah. And I'm not offended by that. Yeah. And it's a another thing I've learnt. Uh, and my adage in politics, that you know, I've been around for a little while now, is that I, I try not to repeat mistakes. I'll acknowledge I will make a mistake and I'll make new ones in this term. 
but I don't want to repeat mistakes that I've made in the past and I only want to make the mistake once and then, yep, right, got it, understand now and we'll move on. And so a little bit of forgiveness as well. Things will go wrong. I mean, look, yesterday the Greens announced something that I sort of knew was coming, but you know, it was a little bit of a surprise. And Shane said, yep, sorry, should have told you. And it's like, yep, okay, understand. Apology accepted. We move on. Yeah, right. And I think that highlights that, you know, politics is really just about human dynamics in so many yes. ways. And the ability to just walk down the corridor and have a conversation and maybe say, yeah, look, sorry, we got that wrong. Or, yeah. hey, we're unhappy about this. We think you guys have done this and we didn't think that was fair or whatever. Having the maturity just to go and do that. It sounds really toy almost to just say, no, it, but no, it no. actually is no, it very basically toy. comes down to that human dynamic yeah. sometimes. Well, it's it's why we're all here. I mean, because like you know, this life is insane, right? So that we we were all draw, drawn right. to it because and how Shane gets through it without drinking coffee, probably. <laughs> the thing I don't drink coffee either, but that's oh, not by well. choice. That is not by choice. Anyway, um, we're really on the clock now, guys. But just quickly, um, you know, this all this sort of outbreak of maturity in my podcave is is sort of um. You know, contrary to some of the dynamics that occur in this podcast, but anyway, that's and and refreshingly so. There's an obvious question here: um, What about coalitions nationally? Now, uh, conventional wisdom is certainly after the forty third Parliament. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of hand wringing about what that did or did not. You know, do right or wrongly. Um, you know, in Queensland, there was all these sort of muscular statements in Queensland from Labor about, you know, do we do a deal with the Greens, you know, like never. Um, right. So that's that's the norm, as it were. You guys are cutting against the grain. Is there, like, should we, should Labor and the Greens be thinking about some form of coalitionism nationally? I have a feeling it's inevitable, as much as my federal colleagues don't like that. Uh, I think it's certainly the place for it to start is in the Senate where it is institutionally a fact that the Greens, you know, will, will be winning, uh, you know, one, possibly two uh, senators in, uh, in each state for, for the foreseeable future. Yep. Uh, and so that's a, you know, a good starting point, a proportional representation system and you need collaboration. Uh, you know, federally, it's pretty hard to see Adam Bant not being a member for Melbourne for mm. you know for for some time uh, to come. So I, I think there's a sense of inevitability about it, but it needs a degree of management, and it's going to need some mature leadership. Is that what's lacking? I, well, I get the sense that at the moment there there's still there's still a little bit of bitterness around around particular individual seat contests. Yeah, uh, that just make it make it hard at the moment. But then I observe that the Liberal and National Party have these same issues and yet they manage a, a coalition arrangement. Yes. Uh, and so it's just, there's no world of Australian politics where Labor and the Greens uh, can operate independently of each other and, and hope to be able to influence, you know, pass legislation and, and influence Australian politics mm. because at the very least it requires good cooperation in the Senate. Mm. Uh, now, you know, Labor may aspire to be able to win a House of Reps majority in, in our own right, and that's a, not an unreasonable aspiration. But on the times when, you know, we fall one or two seats short and the Greens have one, two, three, four or five or however many lower House seats that you know, they're likely to, to win in the foreseeable future, I mean, what, they're going to turn down government hmm. on the basis of, uh, you know, of not, not accepting the vote of, a, of, a, of another progressive 
MP. Mm. Now, the exact terms of the governing arrangements and all of that, I understand, are much more complex at a national level. I, I get that. But just think, in the end, having, you know, Labor's not won an election in its own right for, what, Kevin Rudd in 07? Yeah, Rudd in 07. Uh, outside of that, one since Keating in 93. Yeah. Uh, that's not a great track record. Mm. Uh, we've just won six elections in a row. Admittedly, in a more progressive jurisdiction, uh, but I think there's something in our formula mm. that probably should be applied nationally. Shane? I think it also takes time. When we first won the balance of power in 2008, that was a much harder term. I mean, we sat on the crossbench. We were all brand new members. We didn't ask or decide to go into the ministry at that point in time. But it also it does go a lot to the style of the leaders. It'd be fair to say the chief minister at that time wasn't so enamoured with working mm -hmm. with the Greens, whereas... The successors, Katie Gallagher, mm. who's now in the Senate, of course, and then Andrew have taken an approach where they have seen value in collaborating more than sort of trying to just knock the Greens off again. Mm. And I think that, that that builds up over time and that starts to create fertile ground then for doing more work together. You're discounting or you're minimising yourself slightly in that conversation. Um, it's Yes, it requires maturity on Labor's part for sure, but they've got to have a dance partner they can work oh, with. Oh, sure. So sure. is it sort of like, that's that's why I'm asking about maturity, not to be gratuitous, not to make personal reflections on individuals, but uh, that's sort of like, if we just track back to the 43rd briefly, right, like everybody, you know, Greens and Labor are proud of the achievements mm. that emerge from that parliament. Yeah. Um, but there is this residual... I don't know even what you'd call it, post-trauma about how, there are a lot of how, how that was. People would be traumatised. No, no, of course. But, but not about no, policy. No, that's no, the no. fascinating no, but thing. But that's the thing. Yeah. But, but, but it's, also, it's, it's also how things looked and were presented as well as the policy. Mm, mm. So it's sort of like, um, you know, it's, you know, I suppose I'm struggling to work out how various personalities walk back from that period and then reset and it requires, which goes back to the compromise point and whether or not your respective political movements can cop compromise as well. So I think we have to, you know, if we're going to get the policy outcomes and which is, I guess, where this conversation is very much gone today, if you want to get those outcomes every now and then you've got to have the willingness to take that step back or forget about an old grudge. Uh, they're the sort of things that do get in the way. Again, coming back to that notion about just human relationships, you know, any relationship, if you hold on to the grudges, you are stuck in the past and you can't move forward. Mm, well, that's a very nice note to yeah. end I on. Hope and, for the future. And right? hope for the yeah. <laughs> Andrew wants to get hope up. Let's mm. get hope up. We definitely need to get hope up. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate your time. Uh, thank you to Miles Martignoni, who is the executive producer of this show. Thank you to Hannah Izzard, who often cuts the show for us. Thanks to my guests. We'll be back next week. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. 
A third of students are less than happy about their university choice, new research by EY has revealed. The findings suggest that a digital rethink is essential to meet the expectations of students and staff. Universities can address this by putting the needs of the people they serve at the heart of their digital strategies. Learn more about the future of human-centered higher education at theguardian.com forward slash transforming higher education. This message was paid for by EY.